Bibles this morning, I would like you to turn to the Gospel of Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 is where we're going to be this morning. <clears throat> While you're turning there, I just need to maybe give some of you, pick some of you up uh, to, to where we are. For the last many months now, we have been working our way, many weeks, not every week, but many weeks through the Gospel of Mark. We're up to chapter 10 now. And this is a study, a closer look, if you will, at the life and the ministry and the teachings and the miracles, the message of Jesus Christ. And, and th this has been so this has been so powerful because there have been things that I have looked at, things that I have seen, even though I've read Mark many, many times, uh, it's, it's the shortest gospel, it's the most sequential of gospels, only 16 chapters. You can read it inside of an hour. I've done that many times and so have many of you, but boy, there are some things in here that as we've drilled down, we've gone deeper into the gospel of Mark that that I, quite frankly, I've never seen before and experienced. And so I want you to know that there's nothing that I ever share with you that God hasn't already spoken to me and already dealt with me about. And I've said that before, but I want to say it here at the very beginning of this year. God speaks to me through this. He, I trust that he's going to speak to you. And so this is where we are as we're continuing to make our way through this. Mark chapter 10 records a discussion between Jesus and a man who asked the most important question anyone can ask. Let me say that again. Mark 10 records this discussion, this interaction between Jesus and a man who asked the most important question that anyone could ever ask. We looked at this some weeks ago. Here's the short version. I won't re-preach that message. Here's the short, uh, the short version. This man was rich. And he was young. Another gospel says that he was a ruler. He had some degree of power. So therefore, we refer to him as this rich, young ruler. Approached Jesus, the Bible says, and asked how he could receive eternal life. He came to Jesus and he asked, how can I obtain eternal life. That really is the most important question anyone can ask. We can ask a lot of questions. How do I get from here to there? We can ask questions like, um, what's on the menu today? We can ask really, really important questions like, will you marry me? That's a pretty, how many know that's an important question? We, all, all these things, you know, are, are, where are we going to, all these questions, but the most important question is, how can I get to heaven? Because there is an eternity. Some people say, well, I don't believe in heaven. Well, not believing in heaven isn't going to make it go away, and not believing in hell isn't going to make it go away as well. There is an eternity. Everyone has an eternity. We have a definite beginning point, conception, but we do not have an end point. You're going to live forever. The question is where? And this man asked the question, how do I live forever. How do I come into eternal life? We would put it this way, how do I get to heaven? The man, it goes on, it says that he had closely followed the Mosaic law. He was Jewish. This is a Jewish community. And, and, and because he said that he had closely followed the Mosaic law, particularly those commandments pertaining to how we relate to each other, because of this, he was essentially telling Jesus and those who were listening that my behavior is really good. 
That's what he was saying. My behavior, the way that people look at me, the way that I interact with other people, the, 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 the way that I behave in this world is, is, is pretty good. I may have been a little bit arrogant, may have been, certainly had some blind spots. He did, we all do, but he said, my behavior is good. But he still had no assurance of eternal life. It's interesting, he had closely followed those commandments, but he also knew, he felt deep within him, that that still isn't enough. So he's asking this question, I, how do I obtain eternal life? Then Jesus, Jesus, again in the text we looked at a couple of weeks ago, Jesus, knowing the man's heart, because Jesus can look deep within us and see things that no one else can see. By the way, he can do that with you. He does that with all of us. Jesus looked deep into the man's heart, seeing what no one else could see, knowing his heart. Jesus told him that because because wealth had become this man's God, it wasn't so much power. He was a ruler, but it wasn't the power. It wasn't the youth. It wasn't necessarily that kind of a vanity that was, that was his God, but wealth had become his God. Jesus told him, knowing this, Jesus told him, go and sell everything you have. Take all of your possessions. Take them to the pawn shop. Take them to the, put them on an auction. Put them on eBay. No, they didn't have that. They put them on something and sell it all. Take the proceeds from those sales and give it all, give it all to the poor. And then Jesus said, come and follow me. It's interesting. Jesus said that. He, he used those words, and then come and follow me. Those are the same words that Jesus used when he called all of his other disciples, or at least those that, the record that we have. Jesus said, come and follow me to those disciples, those 12 that were with him at this point. He's saying the same words to this guy. Now, I don't know this for sure, we, we don't know, but, but maybe, Jesus, maybe Jesus was calling this guy to be one of the 12, well, now, 13 disciples. We don't know that for sure, but he did say, come and follow me, same words that he'd used with the disciples. Interesting, isn't it? He wanted him to follow, Jesus wanted the man to follow him, but he also knew that there were some things that had to happen first. First, there had to be a surrender. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come, and then come, and follow me. So, all of that to say this man had received his answer. Remember, his question was, um, how do I obtain eternal life? Jesus said, here's how you do it, knowing his heart. He didn't say this to everyone, but knowing that this man's God, small g, false God, knowing that this man's God was his wealth, he said, essentially, Surrender your God, give it all to the poor, and then come and follow me, and you'll have eternal life. The man had the answer to his question, but then he was faced with a choice. You know, sometimes we ask questions, and if we don't like the answer, we keep waiting and asking the same question. You ever do that? You ask somebody, "Um, I want to know this. They tell you, and they go, I don't want to know that. Give me another answer. This man had a choice. He, ha- he was now at decision point. Verse 22, however, says that his face fell. You could register it on his face. And it says he walked away grieved. He walked away with a heavy heart. He came with a questioning heart. He leaves with a grieved heart because he had the answer, but he chose not to receive it. He was not willing to do what Jesus told him to do. 
He wanted, I believe he still wanted eternal life. He just didn't want to do what was necessary to receive eternal life. Well, that's the end of his story. That is, that is the end of his story. He's never mentioned again. He's mentioned in three Gospels, but it's all the same scene. He's never mentioned after this point. His name remains unrecorded. We don't know his, his name. Um, uh, it, had, had, he, had he followed Jesus, I believe we would know his name. He would have maybe been the 13th disciple. Maybe he would have been the one to replace Judas when Judas later took his life. We don't know. But his name is unrecorded. His wealth, his wealth, that it says that he had great wealth, his wealth at best lasted only as long as his life because as we all know, you can't take it with you. But most important of all, this we know about his life, unless there was some great change later on, he forfeited eternal life. Because having, having done this, perhaps God in his mercy, he came around and maybe years later, but years later, he would still be faced with the same decision. Maybe he came, maybe he cycled around a couple times. We don't know. We'll, we may never know, but as far as we know, as far as we know, the last time that he's mentioned, he says no, and he forfeited eternal life. Well, it was the end of his story, and while it is the end of his story, it's not the end of the scene, because it continues on. As the man walked away, verse 23 of, Luke, of Mark 10 reads this way, Jesus looked around and said, to him, imagine this in your mind, he's walking away, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. So the disciples the disciples were there. They had been watching, listening to this entire encounter. Been they, I mean, they were, they were cued in. Maybe they knew this man. We don't know. But they're listening to all of this, and they, they hear this man's response, or rather see his response. They see him walk away, and as they're looking at his retreating back, Jesus turns to them again and says, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. They'd heard all of this, and this is what it says of them in verse 24. The disciples were amazed at his words. I want you to see that. The disciples, so again, picture this in your minds. They see this interaction. Jesus said, Jesus said how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And they were amazed at Jesus' words. Why were they amazed? Why were they amazed? Why would they be amazed at Jesus' words? That seems so basic. Why were they amazed at Jesus' words? Well, they were amazed because they had just heard how obeying the Jewish law, how their good behavior was not enough to obtain eternal life. Please understand the context. Again, as I mentioned earlier, this is a Jewish context. Everything is about the, the Jewish law, sometimes referred to as the law of Moses or the Mosaic law. It was a law that was about 1,400 years old at this time, and, and, and its essence, the, 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 the essentials of the Mosaic Law are the Ten Commandments, and many of you are familiar with that. And so, but the Jews had added, over the course of the centuries, had added a lot more to it, and it had become very, very top-heavy, and it was all about the law, it was all about close adherence to the law, and, and it had come to the point where 
Salvation is possible. In their minds, in, in, their, in that context, in their minds, salvation was possible if you closely adhered to the law. If you did everything right, you have a good chance of making it. But then, with Jesus' statement, there in verse 23... When they heard how wealth made it difficult to enter the kingdom of God, that really shook up their world. Why would that shake up their world? You see, again, in their culture, in their Jewish tradition, which was a wonderful tradition, but this is what they'd grown up in, in their Jewish tradition, wealth was almost always regarded as an indication of God's favor and God's blessing. So if they saw someone who was devout... If they saw someone who was Jewish, oh, there were other people like tax collectors and some of those Romans and so forth, occupying nations. They had money too, but that was all because they saw. But if they saw one of their own who was wealthy, they just, in their minds, they thought God has blessed them. They, they, they already have favor with God because they are devout, because they have followed God's law. Then obviously they're wealthy. Then they're, boy, of all people, they are in. Because of this, they would have assumed, assumed that this man with such great wealth, who was also so young, that he must have been doing something right. But here, in this last statement in verse 23, Jesus was saying that people's wealth made it difficult. You see that word? Made it difficult to receive eternal life. <laughs> now, Jesus knows what's going on in their heads, and so he kind of doubles down. Listen to this. He, he, he repeated his statement and then added something to it. Verse 24, children, how difficult, there's that word again, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God, exclamation point. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus was using a word picture here. He was using a word picture that they would have immediately been able to identify with. They knew what camels were. Camels were the biggest animal that most people had seen. Uh, at that time and still today, camel is a big animal. I mean, it's, it's a, think, of a, think of a long, think of a big cow with a big hump and really long legs. An ugly cow. That's, I mean, this is a big, big animal. They knew about elephants, perhaps, but that was in a different part of the world. So Jesus uses this word picture. He says, he says, uh, he, he says uh, it's easier for a rich man, or rather, he said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They knew what camels were. They were the biggest animal most people had seen. They also knew what needles were. A needle was the smallest tool that anyone can hold. So you've got the largest animal anyone had seen, you have the smallest tool that anyone had ever held, and they knew, they absolutely knew that animals who were so big could not fit through openings so small. And that's true. That was true then, that's true now. Do you know that you cannot fit, and you cannot fit, let's put it in our context, you cannot fit a cow, any cow, through the head of a needle can't do it. Say, so you can if you pound them down far enough. 
And that's true, I suppose. If you take a camel or a cow and you pound them and you make them really, and you, and you can fit it through. But you know what? You, you don't have a camel anymore. Now you have greasy camel thread. That's what you have. Let me just pause here for a moment. Let me just pause here for a moment. Um, uh, did anyone here, and I need a show of hands for just a moment here, did anyone here ever tell you about a gate in Jerusalem called the Needle's Eye that camels could get through if they went down on their knees? Let me have a showing of hands. How many ever heard that when you were a kid? Let me just look around, hold it up. Yeah, it's, it's not true. Now, with all due respect to your teacher or that preacher back then, it's not true. It's a fable. There isn't such a thing. If there was, it came much later. There wasn't at this time. Jesus was not talking about this little gate where a camel could with some great difficulty get through. It's, it, it never happened. That's not what Jesus was referring to. Jesus was referring to a word picture. And he said, it is absolutely impossible for something so big to get through something so small. Can't do it. Can't do it. So you understand here what's happening. Jesus is saying this. That day, in this interaction that probably took maybe less than 15 minutes, in this whole interaction that day with both the rich man and alone with his disciples, Jesus made it clear that we absolutely cannot obtain eternal life through great deeds. And we absolutely cannot obtain eternal life with great wealth. It is impossible. Verse 26 says the disciples were exceedingly astonished. See that there? They were astonished. Before they were amazed, right? Before they were like, what? That's amazing. Now they're astonished. And I don't know on the spectrum of, of surprise, I'm thinking astonished is even bigger than amazed. Now they're hearing things that, is, that, that are almost blowing their mind. They were astonished because good behavior wasn't good enough. And they were also astonished because material wealth was insufficient. Um. I have found that the more that I study God's Word, the, the more that I see throughout this book, Old and New Testament both, all the way back to Genesis, all the way back to the very beginning, and throughout, the more I study God's Word, the more I realize that the way people thought then is the way that people think now. All of that to say that human nature has not changed a great deal. The way that we think, the way that some of the patterns, some of the, even if I can go so far as to say this, some of the lies of the enemy of our souls that he has said have been working very effectively for many, many, many hundreds and thousands of years. How many people do you know right now? Right now. How many people do you know right now who if they were asked how they would get to heaven would say something like this? I'm a good person. I've never murdered someone. You ever hear that one? I have a good heart. I'm kind. 
and, and here's one that, that I've heard perhaps more than any. I've done more good than I have bad. People think this, and, they, and when questioned, how do you get to heaven, they will even verbalize that, and they will say things much like that. And some of you have had the same discussion. I was talking with a brother this week, and he was talking about an interaction that he had at work, and how, how you know, the, the, the person that he was speaking with said, you know, I'm going to hell. I'm going to hell. I know it. But I, I think if you were to drill down on that, that person would probably say because the, the bad has outdone the good or there's no hope for me or I can't, li- I can't do enough good things to, I'm not a very good person, there's some things in my life. The way that people thought then is often the way that people think right now. Or how many how many, how many? How many people do you know have a false hope that simply because they own much or possess much now, that they are somehow favored by God? Now, please, I'm very careful here. If you own much and possess much, if you think for a moment that that gets you points with God, or that that is somehow going to get you into heaven, then you are horribly mistaken. If you have much and you possess much, but it doesn't possess you, that's an entirely different thing. You know, I've known people who have much and it doesn't hold them. I've known people who have almost nothing and they're absolutely bound by their possessions. I've said this before, wealth is a relative thing. Every person here on the, on, the, on the standard of our world is incredibly wealthy. If you drove here this morning, which I hope you did, if you walked here this morning, see me afterwards, we're going to give you a ride home. If you drove here this morning, you are incredibly wealthy. Wealth is a bit of a relative term. But I've known people who it held them. I've also known people who, who just kind of assumed that I've got it so good here that I either give no thought to the future, that I give no thought to the life after this one, or I just kind of assume that what's going to be good here, I'm going to get there because obviously I'm blessed. I've heard people who have no relationship with Jesus Christ, who have never surrendered their lives to Christ, who've said, God has blessed me. And they think, They think that somehow because I have it good here, I'm going to have it good there. See, what this this interaction between good behavior and, and God's favor or a lot of material wealth and God's favor, the, the, the feelings that they had then continue today. The disciples, when they heard this, must have been close to mental overload, and, 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 I, and I say that because one of the disciples then asked Jesus, end of verse 26, then who can be saved? Now, I'd love to hear this rather than just read it, but I think that there was some desperation because, again, in their minds, they're thinking, well, then who can be saved? 
If it's not based upon what we've assumed, then how can we come into eternal life? And that's another great question, isn't it? Remember this man, he came to Jesus earlier on in the chapter, and he said, what do I need to do to obtain eternal life? How do I get eternal life? That's a great question, but that's a really good question too. That's the second great question in this text. Well, then who can be saved? Verse 27, Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. That is really good. Uh, Pastor Ben, Pastor Ben, where are you? He didn't, he didn't know that I was going to be preaching on this, but, and I don't know if you picked up on it, but he, he quoted that same thing. He, he's smart, but he didn't come up with that. He's not that smart. That was, that was, that was, that's the word of God that he spoke earlier. It's the same verse. It's the same verse. Jesus said, he, he puts them, he puts these disciples, and everyone who reads it since then, puts us into this, into this, this impossible place. Can't do it on our good works. Can't do it with, with God's favor that I think that I have God's favor simply because I have a lot of stuff. Well, then who can be saved? And Jesus, man, he sets them up and he, he says, well, he basically says this, i got some really good news for you. With man, it is impossible. You can't fit a camel through the eye of a needle. But, but not with God. With, for all things, notice that word all, not, it's not qualified. All things are possible with God. If you underline or highlight parts of your Bible, go ahead and mark that one because that's a powerful statement. With man, it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. You know, that's, a, that's one of those life verses that I think we just really need to get a hold of. How many times do we need to be reminded of that? With man, it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. We sang that song earlier. I really like that new song, by the way. I like, I like the tune. I like it. I first heard it about two weeks ago. It's been rolling around in my head. It was rolling around in my, my head even during the night. I'm listening to this song, but one of the lines from that song is, it's a declaration to God, you do impossible things. And I know that. I know that God does impossible things. He can do what we could never do. Listen, listen to me. You need to understand that he can heal any disease. Let that sink. Some of you really need to hear that. He can heal any disease. God does not look at some kind of a physical malady and go, ooh, that's a, ooh, that's a tough one. It's not too big for God. Why? Because with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. He can heal any mind. There are some people here, there are some people here who your minds were absolutely mushed out for one reason or another. I mean, you were a mess. You were a hot mess. But Jesus healed your mind. Listen, there is no mind that is beyond his power. He can do impossible things. Um, he can mend any family. Well, he can't mend my family. Man, my family is ripped asunder. No, he can heal any family. 
He can deliver anyone from anything. But listen to me. The greatest impossibility that he made possible was to reconcile hopelessly lost mankind to his Father. That's the greatest impossibility that Jesus made possible. Mankind is hopeless. Well, then who can be saved? Can't, can't, can't earn it, can't work it, can't fix it, can't steal it, can't do anything, can't do it. It's impossible. How do I make myself clean? You can't. You might as well try fitting a live camel through an eye of a needle and hope that there's a live camel on the other side. You can't do it. But Jesus did the impossible. Last week, one week ago today, we, we received communion together and we remembered Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. I'll tell you, folks, what Jesus did on the cross, he did the impossible. He made the impossible possible. Glory to God. He can do impossible things. Jesus knew it was impossible for us to get into the kingdom of God through good behavior or through great wealth. He knew the only way was to become the sacrifice for our sins. He knew that, and he knew that he alone could pay the price for our salvation. Right here, Mark chapter 10, this is about 10, maybe 11 months before Jesus hung on that cross. He, see, he didn't give him the rest of the story here. He gave him this verse. He gave him this statement here in verse 27, but he, he demonstrated verse 27 10 or 11 months later when he made the impossible possible. And he brought people who were broken and hopeless and, and who were crying out and saying, well, then who can be saved? If a guy, the disciples are wondering, if a guy who's young and he's got all going and, and he's healthy and, and, he, and, he's, and he's wealthy and he's powerful, he was probably a lay leader in the synagogue. That was probably his power. If somebody like that who had it all together, who did all the things right, if he can't be saved, then who can be saved? And Jesus said, you can't, but my God can and he knew that he would through his death and through his resurrection. Some of you who are here this morning in the last year, some of you here this morning in the last year came into a living relationship with Jesus Christ. Glory to God. Amen. I'm going to give you one more chance. Some of you came to Jesus in the last year. Glory to God. Because, yeah. I mean, that, that, that's worth shouting about. I heard, I heard a testimony this morning. I heard a testimony of a, of, of a prodigal son, a prodigal brother, far from Jesus, and yet God in his mercy... <laughs> And, and, and through the prayers of many for many years, God in his mercy reached down and made the impossible possible. I'm sure that many people, had, not his family, but I'm sure many people wrote that man off. Just a few weeks ago, he came into a living relationship with Jesus Christ. Glory to God. That happened in 2017. And I say that because <clears throat> some of you have prodigals. Some of you have a loved one who once 
knew Jesus and they knew about Jesus and yet they've walked away from Jesus like the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. And I say that because I want to give you hope and I want you to you just keep praying, you just keep praying, you just keep praying. Some of you in the past year came to Jesus Christ. What was impossible for you to do, he made possible. But there are going to be others in the year to come. Let me say that again. There are going to be others in the year to come. In 2018, the possible is going to become, excuse me, the impossible, the impossible is going to become possible for people who are asking this most important question. How do I, how do I get eternal life? Some of the people that you know, some of the people that you've been praying for, some of the people you've been holding to, at, at an altar of prayer before the Lord for a long time, I'll tell you what, the, the impossible is going to become possible. Some of you are looking at and boy, even just reading that verse, maybe you've underlined it or marked it or highlighted it somehow. And that's going to resonate in your heart and in your mind. And you're going to put that on a three-by-five card. And you're going to stick it in the bathroom mirror or on the refrigerator or on, on your, over, your, over your radio because there's anything any, that's better than what's on your radio. And you're going to claim that verse. And say, Lord, with, with man this is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. I'm going to pray it. Hold to it. Stand upon that promise. There's going to be people ahead who will receive that most important answer. Jesus alone can save. This morning, as I've done in not every year, but in many years, I've made it. I've intentionally said, all right, that first message that I, I'm privileged to preach to this body of believers God, what do you want me to, and I, and I, and I knew that, I was, I knew that I, I was planning on preaching something else, but I, I knew that I was supposed to preach this, it's, it's next in, God, and, and I get partway through this, and I said, yeah, that's it, that's, that's the message that every one of us needs to hear this year, that, that our God, who, 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 that what is impossible with man is possible with our God, and you need to get a hold of that, you need to hold on to that. And for some of you, that may be the only thing that you're going to hold on to in the coming weeks and months. That promise, God, it's impossible, but you make all things possible. And I'm going to trust you to heal, to deliver, to speak, to redirect, to provide, to bring that prodigal back. But most of all, to save. For whatever is in this life will soon be gone. Let me say it again. Whatever is in this life will soon be gone. If you are a person who is spending your life on something that can only be held in this life, then you are of all people most foolish. But if you will pursue someone who will take you beyond this life and that you will take the long view rather than the short view and understand that, that, that salvation and my relationship with him alone is what's going to survive this world, then you are a person most wise. And that he can make possible. I'd like you to stand with me, please, across this sanctuary. I'm going to ask our, our worship team. We, we sang this earlier 
Um, my heart is yours. Uh, again, this, this man, I want you to take you back as the, the worship team is coming. I want to take you back for just a moment to that man. That rich young ruler was standing. He had the answer. Jesus told him, this is what you are to do. He was at the point of decision. He was at the point of surrender. He held it. He held it. He had the answer. He simply needed to implement it. And by implementing it, he had to surrender. That thing that Jesus said killed him. This morning, you are standing at a similar, some of you may be standing at a similar place. You have a choice. Will I do it? Will I surrender? Or will I go my own way? And I promise you this, that whatever it is, if there is anything, I'm not going to say that everyone, but if there is anything that he's saying, surrender, and you're going, that doesn't make sense. Well, it didn't make sense to tell this guy who's young and who can think of, he probably thought, well, think of what I can do with all of that money. But Jesus knew that it held him. So Jesus told him, not everyone, told him, surrender it. I promise you this morning that whatever it is, if the Lord is, then, then, then you surrender it to Him. In just a few moments, we're going to sing this song, I give you my life, I give you my trust. Later on, you're going to sing, all, all to Jesus I surrender. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. In other words, I willingly give. I promise you that if you lay it down, God will give you so much more. Later on, after this, there's another part of this. Peter said, Lord, we've given you everything. We've, we've, we've given up so much to follow you. What, what are we going to get? And Jesus, in so many words, said this. You may have given up husbands and wives and family. Let's say husbands. Wives and family and children. Anyone who gives up all of those things, for my sake, will receive a hundred times more in the kingdom to come, in the present life and in the kingdom to come. Not, 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 not just then, now. So based upon that, I can promise you this morning that whatever he's saying, surrender to me, you're going to receive something so much more in return. That's a promise, not from me, from him. So we're going to sing this. These altars are going to be open. We're going to sing this through, and, uh, and then I'm going to close in prayer. Um, and then, and then these, these altars, you can come. You can come at any point while we sing. And then when we're, you, but you can come, and I'm going to close in prayer, and then you're free to go. Um, and, 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 but, but please don't rush out of here. Please don't rush out of here if, if you're at a point of, of decision. Then turn where you are or come forward, but do something physical to where you say, Lord, I'm, I'm coming and I'm surrendering this to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I promise you, he'll give you so much more. Let's sing this together and then uh, we'll sing it through once, uh, the entire entirety of it. And then, uh, and then I'm going to close in prayer and open up these altars. Let's sing this together.
and we're going to open up these altars and and uh, you can come at any time, but we're, they're going to continue to lead and you're going to sing. And when you're done praying, um, consider yourself dismissed. But, but I want to close this time. If you feel like you need to go, feel free. But also, if you feel just impelled, I want you to come and I want you to, to just say, Lord, whatever you want, whatever you want. Lord Jesus, now, I thank you for speaking to us through your word. I thank you that your word is powerful. It cuts to the very deepest part of us, Lord. It reveals things. It exposes things in us. And I ask, Lord Jesus, that if there's anything, again, we just lay it before you. I thank you, Lord, for these people and for their attention to your word. And I pray that also that beyond what you've done here, that we will take your word with us, that you will continue to speak to us in these hours and days ahead. I pray that our lives would be different because of what we heard and what we received today. Jesus, I pray that in this coming year, in this coming year, the people that others have written off, the people that have regarded them impossible to reach, Lord, all things are possible with you. And I pray, Lord, for salvations in this coming year unlike we've ever seen before. Lord, I thank you for what you did in 2017, but I'm going to trust you for even a greater harvest in 2018. Lord Jesus, some of those we've been praying for for months and years, for some, in some cases decades, Lord, they're going to come to you this year. Lord, this we pray, we hold on to that. Lord, make the impossible possible. The greatest, the greatest impossibility, Lord, was that you reconciled sinful mankind, and I'm a part of that, to a holy God. And I thank you for that. I thank you for the cross. So Jesus, now as my brothers and sisters, as we go our way today to a time of prayer, to a time of fellowship, a lot of interaction, Lord, I pray that your power would go with us as we, as we love you and as we love other people and as we share Jesus Christ with a lost and broken world who's hopeless without it, but Lord, who's, who's full of hope and full of promise with it. We thank you for that message. Help us to share you. I pray these things. We pray these things in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you this morning. Let's worship together.